Leads, leads, leads. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, an oral history podcast about a place called Leeds, a time called now, and an activity called work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them about what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. My mission here is to try to map out what my city, Leeds, a city that has declared a climate emergency, did during humanity's biggest emergency. On working hours, we hear how loiners have, are, and will be coping with our multiple and expanding crises during their day-to-day working hours. Can we turn things around? We'll find out. To tell this story, I need loiners. Loiners like you, dear listener. I need people in Leeds or people from Leeds to come on this podcast and just tell me what they do all day and let me record how this affects us. Thank you for listening. What did you want to be when you grew up? Um, So when I was growing up, I wanted to be loads of different things, but I think the first sort of real conscious um, idea that I'd got around a a, a proper profession, I actually wanted to be a management consultant. So I was a bit... (laughs) I was a bit older. I wasn't. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't still doing the paper round at that time. But right. um, I just, you know, growing up in the nineties, it was it was a bit of a thing then, and it was, mm. uh, you know, a bit of a burning the candle at both ends type of life, living at our hotels and stuff. And I'd read a few books, and I just really liked the sound of it. Yeah, sort of life on the road and being an executive and going into businesses and and uh, and I think you know just just seeing the variety and and you know it, it, solving problems and stuff like that. I mean, it's, you know, we'll, I guess we'll go on to what I do now, but it's it's sort of I don't do that, but I do do that sort of stuff in a fashion. You're listening to series five, episode one, and to my guest Andrew Firth. This is another Zoom interview, recorded on the 5th of January 2024. Hello. How are you? I'm still suffering with a bad back. I couldn't do much of anything last week, and that's why there were no episodes. Well, welcome back to Working Hours and to Series 5. Let's get some cracking episodes this year. I've recorded a couple already. So, I don't know about you, but I'm a bit sick of the dodgy quality and erratic publishing schedule of this podcast. I intend to do something about it. I'm always trying. That's why I'm trying to interview three people a week this year. That's nearly a whole working weekday of recording. I've also invested in some new kit. More expense. Now, bear in mind that each one of those guests will take time to book in, and because loiners aren't volunteering for the project yet, I have to find all the leads and book all the guests myself. Once their episode is recorded, I then have to check the file and send it back to them. Then I need to wait for them to listen to it and get back to me. That can take weeks, months in some cases, even years in others. Then I have to proof and edit their interview and build their episodes, then publish it and post about publishing it. All of these basic things take time and energy for each episode. Making one podcast is easy. Making more is harder. Most people stop before 10. I've done 11 times that because I'm serious about this project and because I'm serious about this, I've spent four years paying out monthly to make and host this show. Then there's social media work that has to be done to get any listeners and ideally to also get guests 
and build a brand through free marketing. I'm literally giving most of the hours of my life to this project now, and I want to do that. But I want it to be less stressful and more meaningful. I want to reach that bigger audience that I know there is for this show. It's not for everyone by any means, but it is a relaxed, casual show about deeply serious subjects presented hopefully in a very accessible, not too depressing way. I'm doomy, for sure, I'm ranty too, but I'm also quite a jovial chap whenever I can be. I prefer laughing to ranting. I'm going to keep plugging away with this. I'm going to try to bring you well-recorded interviews at a regular rate. I have more time and energy to dedicate to that end at the moment, but this is only a window of time and it won't be a long one, especially if you don't help. So if you want this show to keep moving towards that 1,000 Loiners goal, to come out regularly, to become a better product that more people can enjoy and benefit from, then you've got to help. You've got to listen to more of working hours. You've got to talk about it more, which you will if you listen to it more because you'll notice loads of new things. And you've got to talk to me about it more because everyone else will get sick of you talking about it and I won't. I've got 10 recordings banked for this series at the moment. So if they're not coming out regularly, then I'm stressed and frustrated. That's why that will happen. You can prevent that happening, though. Please consider dropping some coin. You don't have to buy Patreon memberships. You can just send a tip of whatever you can or whatever you think the show is worth through Ko-fi. Details for how to do that will be in the outro. Send me emails. I'd love to read your emails out to the audience and you'd like to hear other people's emails, wouldn't you? Email me if you wouldn't like to hear that or if you would. Drop me an email at workinghourspod at western-studios.com. So this episode, we have Andrew Firth. Andrew Firth has been involved with and worked in digital since 2001, formerly as MD of a design agency before setting up Ascensor in 2007. Over the past 16 years, Ascensor has grown to become an award-winning integrated digital agency specialising in delivering sales and lead conversions for clients across many sectors, serving both B2B and B2C audiences. As well as running the business, Andrew heads up the sales function, speaking to clients about new software development projects and digital marketing activities, all focused on driving growth for his clients. Right, let's do this. Episode 111 of Working Hours with Andrew Firth. Well, let's let's jump straight into it then. So what is it that you do do now? So yeah, so I own a sensor. So we're a digital agency. Uh, we uh, help businesses to grow. Uh, so I, I do do that stuff. I mean, I'm I'm not, certainly not a management consultant, but I, I guess from a marketing perspective, you know, I I I love the, you know, I see businesses as obviously very different, but there's a lot of commonality. And you know, you're either marketing a product or you're marketing a service. And there's a lot of, you know, if you can think quite laterally, uh, you know, you can sort of see where one thing that fits one sector might fit another and, 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 you know, helping businesses to grow gives us a real sense of purpose that that's our why as a company. Mm. And I guess it probably stems from those, you know, early ideas around becoming a management consultant to help, to help businesses in the, in the same sort of way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did an MBA, um, which is like a Master of Business Administration qualification. And that sort of really got me, you know, I, I did actually try to get into management consultancy profession, but I, I just wasn't old enough. I hadn't got enough experience. And then mm. I guess sort of life takes over. But I just always like Muse at 
I'm nearly 50 and I'm sort of getting to do the things I wanted to do before. You know, I w- I'd be lying if I said I got a plan. <laughs> you just fall into stuff and then you look back and think, oh, right, wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, you often, I, I'll often get on this. It, it seems like it's a story that leads to somewhere, you know, when you're there, when you look back. But when you live in it, it's just stuff happening. Isn't it? <laughs> and then you look back and you're like, oh, it seems like there was a plan there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I said, lying if, if I'd said there was. So how did you get into it then? Was it like you did the MBA and then, so where did that come? Was that sort of, you worked for a while and was like, I need to do an MBA to be doing this kind of thing. And then from there you built the business or how did it come about? No, so I I actually went to do a degree in uh, product design management, which was very sort of um, mechanical and electrical engineering based product design. Mm -hmm. And I went to, I did a work placement at an engineering firm in Leeds. So I did a placement there and then they took me on afterwards to Mm -hmm. support the management of their computer um, controlled machinery, so CNC machines and really enjoyed it uh, my dad said to me as i was uh, sort of negotiating my uh, my first full-time role uh, make sure you ask them for management training because they won't knock any money off your salary though they should just give you that anyway so i i actually found the course and and yeah it was the mba so it's three and a half years part-time immediately after my degree so and i guess that's where you know, not really having a lot of, ex- you know, I was probably too young to do an MBA because I didn't have, I mean, I, I passed it and everything, but I didn't, probably didn't have the life experience. Mm. You know, back then Nokia was the biggest thing since sliced bread and look where they are now. Um, I remember that you two had said one day about having, you know, one day we'll have flat screen TVs on our bathroom walls. And I know most people probably don't have one on the bathroom wall, but just the concept of it back then was just so alien. It was like, no, like mm. totally call type of stuff um but but yeah so it was, it was a long time ago um and the, the as i was working through the coursework um and certainly my final project which 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 was around um improvements that we could make in the uh engineering firm around leadership and management and relationships between the shop floor and the office team which was very fractious at best um, you know, they just weren't, they just weren't interested in a progressive, you know, it was a city centre Leeds engineering firm that was just very traditional and just weren't interested in, um, you know, they, they'd sort of paid, they, they, I, I sort of cajoled them into letting me do this course rather than them putting me on it because they were going to see where they were going to get benefit. You know, they weren't interested in marketing that, you know, I remember the, the owner said to me, you know, we don't need to market this business, business just comes to us. And sure enough, 15 years later, they were right down to a three day week at one point and stuff. And I, and I think it's that, that type of, it was, it was very restrictive for somebody like me that was quite, um, you know, go-getter or I wanted, I was ambitious. I wanted to get on and I certainly got on well in the engineering firm. You know, I was employed to look after the CNC machinery, but by the time I left, I was looking after the whole machine shop, um, including traditional machines. I'd introduced um, continental shift patterns and stuff like that. So I'd, 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 I'd done a lot, but it was holding me back and I, and I, uh, or, or they were, I felt they were holding me back with my ambitions and, and what I felt like to do. So I went to, I'd got a friend who'd got a design and print company and he said he was looking to grow it. Would I, would I interested in, in going and, and joining that business? And I just thought, yeah, why not? Um, 
you know, that was that was after five years. So I did feel like I'd put my time in the engineering play, place. I'd, I'd learned an awful lot. I'd learned a lot about what not to do as much as what to do, how to how to have different relationships with different people in the workplace to achieve outcomes and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I went to this design and print company and we grew that really successfully, got into building websites, got into digital marketing, like really early on, you know, we're talking around sort of around about the time of Amazon starting up, certainly around the time of uh, common e-commerce websites where, you know, you, you, businesses like us could implement sort of transactional facilities and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I've been in, uh, and I think, you know, building websites as, as we do now, um, it's, it's still producing stuff like the engineering firm. It's still, you know, we don't have any materials, but we still have time. We still look at what a project is like, what, what's involved and, and stuff. And so I was there for like seven years. Um, but I just felt like there was more and more pressure put on me as the MD. We'd grown it to quite a few people, millions in turnover. Uh, and I just thought I, I could be just doing this myself now. So me and one of my colleagues actually set up um, a, an online retail business. So it wasn't a business in competition. It was selling toys and games. Mm. And that that started, and that was just on the side. That, was, that started doing really well. So uh, I thought, well, if we were to sort of resell that technology that we developed for our own e-commerce store into other businesses. Um, we could probably do okay. And, and, and a census started in 2007 and 16 years on, I'm talking to you. Take us through a bit of the business story then. Like, how do you like to tell the story of getting the business going, getting it up and running? Like, how long did it take to sort of break even, go into profit? Was it, you know, was it a struggle early on or was it success straight away or how, how did it work? Yeah, I and mean, I think the, the advantage we'd got was the e-commerce business was doing really well um, quite early on, so it was generating cash. So that enabled me to recruit people I needed to do to to get a sensor um, started. Uh, you know, the cost of developers and and technical team members is is significant and in way above national averages, uh, and so. So, so we, so we needed to do that. I got myself out networking, started to build a, a, a good network of, of contacts and, you know, BNI meeting that was there. I still, I still a member of BNI. Uh, I've been there this morning. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's great from a personal development perspective, but also it's really good to have a network of, of other business owners or the like-minded people. Uh, so, I mean, in terms of turning a profit, it's probably, probably, probably two years, I think. Um, but we were self-funded, if you like, because we've got the other business that was uh, supporting that. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a better result than Amazon, isn't it? How many years, like years and years before they turned a profit? Absolutely. Yeah. I, mean, I, I think um, it's, I guess, I guess for us, we were providing a, a service, you know, we, it, we, we, we are a service-based business. So it was, is seeing, your product is uh, well well you see what you're selling as time effectively you know we're, we're obviously producing code and producing solutions but ultimately we're selling hours so we've got to account for the hours that we're paying for if you like in terms yeah. of our team um and make sure that we're selling more of the hours than than, than not yeah you mentioned the networking there in terms of your kind of customer base is it sort of locally more locally based because you're an online company a digital company as well so you know potentially you can work all over the world like 
do you work all over the world and how much of that what's the mix there yeah it's very it's very small it's international we we are just um about to um close on a, a, a client they were actually in yesterday uh, it's an american company the um, american sales director was over yesterday um and uh that's to handle um uk digital marketing for this firm but also us and um asia pacific regions uh that'll be one of only two live um sort of non-uk clients that we've got um on our books at the minute in any year we might work work for one or two um it, it's i i think it's a tricky one i, I think that many you know dig, digital as a as an industry if you like as a sector has evolved so quickly and certainly the uk is one of the leaders in that but you know it's it's it, we're, we're 20 20 years into it as a as a as a as a service if you like and therefore many other countries have got their own um skilled teams and i think the uk certainly leads away from a creativity perspective um and maybe an invent you know inventing and, and coming up with new ways of doing things but certainly you've got lots of countries you know look at sort of eastern european countries and india and over in vietnam and stuff there's lots and lots of territories now where you can get development web development services i get and 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 therefore i, I think there's less of a need for businesses outside of the uk to come to the uk i think if they are going to offshore they're probably more likely to offshore to some of those territories I've just mentioned because it's more cost effective. I guess, you know, quality control is a, is a challenge uh, with that, but you know, I guess offshoring anywhere quality control is a challenge. Cause it's that remoteness and it yeah. seems, you know, like the technology makes the world seem smaller, but you know, you're still thousands of miles away. You can't walk down to the shop floor and just go, what's going on? <laughs> absolutely and i think that's what we've sort of found with uh, with them um, even even in our business with working from home you know which was as a you know full full effect as a result of covid uh you know it's, it's a similar sort of thing when when you when you're together you solve problems quicker you you've got somebody you can you can speak to when you have to do a zoom call or a team's call whether it be with your own colleagues who are uk-based or overseas or wherever You've always got to have a purpose to do those things and therefore sometimes things get missed we tend to find um so you know we, we you know we've tried to, because because it's it's getting easier but it has been hard to find good developers in the uk just because there's such a demand for them from uk businesses lots of big companies bringing development work in-house so we'd have looked at um, offshoring, and we tried it with a couple of projects last year, and it was just it was just a nightmare for us. It was it, you spend more time managing and testing and um, you know communicating than you do actually doing the work. It's, it's we've definitely we definitely believe it's more cost effective to do to do work here rather than offshore it. Yeah. Okay, so what I want to do with this, I want to start us on the social media question because I think this, I think this will be the most relevant and most interesting area to kind of bring things out and for the further discussion. So, in terms of social media, um, so my my focus is on on the amount of time you invest on social media and whether you feel that you get a return from that time invested. So I speak to a lot of 
startups and stuff and people who are working you know like one one person bands who are doing their own media and stuff and a lot of the time it's kind of throwing stuff into the ether and hoping for the best and some people hate it some people feel it's really good and valuable you're gonna have your own spin on this but um yeah so how much time do you spend on it and as well maybe when did it sort of become more and more important for for your business and for you i guess as well yeah i mean social media is is really important to our business because we provide social media advertising to our clients mm-hmm. uh i think it's so therefore you've got the need to be on social media within the business within the teams mm-hmm. and i guess you know it's it's it can be quite distracting because you know if you're if you're working on a client social media account and you've got your own notifications coming in on that account during the working day that can be quite distracting for the for the team members mm-hmm. but i think that social media is is sort of getting found out a little bit now I, I i think in terms of you know just like if you look at some of the stories around you know ai generated um fake news and content and stuff i think people are starting to wake up to the realization that social media um needs to be taken with a bit of a pinch of salt you know there's the whole you know just on a personal note you know you, people's instagram profiles are not really those people in their truest sense you know the mm. photos that have been posted on walls might have taken 90 takes to get right type of thing you know it isn't it isn't it isn't the 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 real sort of genuine uh, person that you might know as a as a as a friend um and i think that for me i think personally you know i tend to uh, just really use LinkedIn mainly. Mm-hmm. I think LinkedIn is is genuine. I think that where people aren't being genuine, they can't get called out on there, mm-hmm. um, but in a, in a professional way. And I think that linked, you know, this talk about the six degrees of separation. You know, apparently we're only six contacts away from pretty much anybody. You know, I think it's amazing what 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 sort of happens on LinkedIn and how you can. Um, get your message out i mean it's it's obviously it's here to stay Mm. it's quite interesting to think about how generations use social media i mean you know my kids now will only communicate really on snapchat with anybody else you know they're not on facebook one of the reasons kids don't want to be on facebook is because the parents are on there Mm. whereas you know for instance myself i mean whatsapp isn't really social media but it's another way of online communication but you know how that is with messenger or sms you know i don't know where to look you know people say they sent me a message four or five days ago i'm like no you haven't it's like oh i sent you on this oh yeah i didn't check there mm. so there's just so and i think it's the same with social media from a um a business marketing perspective as well obviously tiktok's become huge in terms of uh the ability for brands to to grow and uh influence uh you know and that's only been in the last couple of years so it's it's ever changing it's ever evolving but at the same time i think as consumers you just got to be really um careful uh that you know what you're seeing on your screen isn't necessarily uh true or good or real or, or even real yeah yeah or, or created by a person 
Yeah, I mean, there's so many warnings before Christmas around, you know, fake, fake e-commerce sites, promoters, social media, you know, you provide your card details and then obviously no product turns up, but you could be spoofed and stuff. So, yeah, uh, I think, you know, for me, I, in terms of what I put on social media, I, I, I realized maybe five or six years ago that you need to, you, you need to make sure that you understand the, I mean, it's it's quite. Don't take this the wrong way, but I think posting anything on social media is quite narcissistic, anyway, isn't it? It's like yeah, narcissistic behaviour, and so I think you've got to make sure that when you when you when you're expressing yourself, however you do in social media, that you're showing you're only allowing people to, that you want to see that stuff to see that stuff. So for me, like, so I'll use. I, I've used LinkedIn for business, mm. uh, Facebook, because I've been on it for ages, but I removed basically, I got married last year and I just, all year before last, and I decided um, to, uh, if anybody didn't interact with my wedding stuff that I put on Facebook, I was removing them as a, as a friend, because I just thought that's a great barometer. You're not a friend yeah. you know, if you don't um appreciate the fact that i've just got married <laughs> so and what i decided to do was set up a link uh, an instagram account whereby i could um put stuff out there that i didn't really care whether people saw or not yeah. so i sort of have different things for for different ways to express what i'm doing yeah i don't know if you'll agree with this but it seems like a lot of people they rush to the business and they don't think about any research beforehand and I think yeah. a lot of the time it's like the research is in, integral, like, you know, to see if you've got a business there in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I think there's, but there's lots of ways to do research, isn't there? Yeah. You know, don't just look at, don't just look at one channel. There's, there's plenty of channels and plenty of ways to suss things out. Mm. Uh, you know, I, I, I saw a really good um, LinkedIn post the other day about somebody who'd um, got set up a business and then, um, made out that they'd sold that business to um it was either, um airbnb mm. and airbnb didn't know anything about it so airbnb responded on social media to say we've never offered to buy this business and we've got no intention of doing it mm -hmm. sky had basically won loads and loads of awards off the back of this software that didn't really exist created linkedin profiles of employees that didn't exist i think what he was trying to do was set himself up as a business guru hey i've built up a business a tech business and sold it to airbnb within three years um but you can't like the, that's the great thing and the great thing about what we do is business, everything's data driven so there's there's footprints there's metrics there's information it doesn't take you know it takes five minutes to to check out what somebody's saying you know somebody put something on social media about award wins or about their business value or stuff like, you know there are places to go and check this stuff out mm -hmm. uh, just googling for a start but then also you know doing a looking on company's house and yeah. things like that so um it's i think there's been some great programs on netflix particularly like the tinder swindler and the, the catfish one and stuff like that around what what people have done and what they've been able to get away with and i think they're great because they alert the general public around like hang on a minute this might not be real and and i, I could probably work that out for myself if i just do a bit of my own due diligence mm. so, yeah
and it operates very much on a like it, it's one of those areas of society where it's just like everybody knows what they're doing but they don't like people that have grown up with it maybe they that you know you know certain things but like a lot of people have no idea what they're doing when they go into an online space and it's kind of like you you can't necessarily ask now no no it's an expectation that you should know you should have just imbibed all of this but if people don't tell you you don't know you know right um just while we're on this i want to just kind of pick your brains on so thinking about the kind of outsourcing thing again uh and we mentioned ai and kind of automation automation and sort of saving money and then the opposite side of of having a real person i mean i'm guessing you're kind of on the side of a real person doing a real job for someone um but there is a place for automation as well so sort of where 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 does that sit for you at the moment yeah i think i mean is I, I like to be efficient mm. and i think automation and ai definitely helps that i think particularly you know so where we'll typically use ai is in generating content and then that gets you 80 percent of the way there you know i i've prepared like contracts and stuff like that by you know as long as you as long as you get your i guess your search query really accurate then pull down some good content that just needs you know that it gets you started on what might have been a big task and i think that's the thing for me it's like you know instead of just always trying to get loads of little things done and putting off the bigger things because you know you're only achieving one thing it just gets you started it turns bigger 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 more manual tasks um into into shorter ones i think that you know it's it's not going anywhere is it and i think businesses need to figure out how they can take advantage of it rather than resisting it because you know there's nothing they can do about it and i think unfortunately unless you embrace new stuff you fall behind you know we we can sort of see this with businesses you know that have you know businesses that have gone bust uh, uh um, big companies like wilco's and people like you know they're businesses that haven't really adapted to online from it's certainly from these from an e-commerce perspective they've been left behind because other more nimble businesses have been able to get in there and grow quicker. And I think, you know, so they didn't adopt the internet as fast as other companies and then they're not here anymore. And that is just life, I think. And um, uh, I think that the same is the same is there with AI. You know, we all know about chat GPT, but I think it's, I think it's where AI then goes, goes beyond that. And we start to find AI machine learning and stuff like that within products that we're buying and, and other stuff. So we're all going to be exposed to it. You know, cars are going to be full of AI in the next 20, 20, 30 years and sooner for, for people that can afford it, I would expect. I mean, it's a double-edged sword as well, though, isn't it? Like, it, what do you think on a kind of protection side for a business? Of like, Because we've mentioned sort of, people being not the best actors on the internet but also kind of it, it will be easy to kind of replicate a lot of things via ai quickly and easily like they, there are as many threats as there are opportunities um do you think that's something that businesses are thinking about yet um no but there is it's quite interesting because there is an iso standard now being produced for AI, um, you know, we're an ISO accredited agency for security and quality. 
but then there's um you know is I, I do think that ai is very frightening to a lot of people and governments and stuff like that and there's obviously been committees of even even the the owners of businesses that have been developing ai wanting to put the brakes on things to make sure that we're doing everything in a way that is safe for humanity if you like so um so yeah it's one of those things isn't it where you sort of feel like it's something that that would be very difficult to control and very easy to get out of control yeah mm. we're trying to put controls around it so interesting to see see how that goes but you know at the end of the day you know we're in a we're in a capitalist society and there's commercial benefits for for using it and doing these things and that generally wins out in my experience yeah so we'll move on to we'll do covid next um so i want you to to sort of think back here to going into lockdown and whether at the time it was did it lead to a massive increase in work and workload or was it a huge drop off of workload did you like how did you manage that was it a matter of like pivoting loads of stuff and then the other side of the question is coming out of covid has anything sort of changed for you permanently this was a weird question a couple of years ago of like people had to think and now it's like yeah there's no way it didn't change things for everyone so but at least that's the impression i get now but yeah so what what was your kind of covid experience work-wise i think covid i mean that one of the things i was really pleased with was that as a business we decided to like lock down the business before the government said we had to lock down so mm -hmm. before we made that decision to you know because because as an, an iso twenty seven thousand and one accredited firm we have to have um you know disaster recovery processes and all of these things so we have to be able to very quickly down tools here and be somewhere else working so it's quite good for us to make sure that 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 worked all all okay and then the government let, uh, locked us down we immediately furloughed probably 20 percent of the team but within four weeks they were all back mm -hmm. uh, we work in digital transformation so we found that uh, many businesses, you know, needed digital to stay in business. Uh, got a great case study for Magnet Kitchens. You know, it was taking five days for them to, before COVID, it was taking five days for them to get a trade application uh, form written out in a showroom and then sent off to accounts and uh, credit check done and then account opened. Uh, and, you know, the, people couldn't get into the showrooms, but they could still deliver mm. Kitchen. So we built like a trade application process that did an online credit score, automatically created an account um, and, and stuff like that. So I think one thing that COVID did was sped up the adoption of digital technology, uh, which, which is great and great for a business like ours. We've got a lot of businesses that operate in e-commerce. In fact, my wife's got a gifts business that sells online. It went absolutely bonkers because, you know, people weren't leaving their homes as much but they're equally so they weren't seeing people so they were much more likely to gift and send stuff in the post that was very good i think that one thing that it has done is um you know everyone went out and got dogs didn't they so then it meant returning to work was harder uh and we've certainly had challenges with with that i think it was only it was in april this year we said we wanted everybody back in the office three days a week 
um, you know, and COVID was several years prior. So, you know, the, the, you know, I don't think we're as efficient when we've got everybody, when we, we don't have everybody together. They don't have to be together all of the time, but they do need to be together some of the time. Yeah. People that we recruited during uh, COVID, uh, you know, some of them didn't, um, didn't didn't stick around for very long, and part of the reason I believe is they never got in, engaged with our culture here. Yeah, didn't make friends. They they were just they, they were just, never met their coworkers in person. You know, yeah. exactly. they were just a number, and um, you know, very difficult to manage. Mm. Uh, very difficult to you know. I I know what I'm like working from home, and I'm the business owner. I'm not as efficient as I am in the office. Mm. There's too many distractions. Um, you know, I'm. You know, I'm not watching telly, but I might be in the fridge a bit too much or whatever. I'm, I'm, you know, it, it's, 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 it's hard. And I think that, you know, when you have a problem, um, you're much more likely to continue making the having the issues or staring at a blank screen or whatever when you're remote than you are if you're around people that you could just say, "Oh, can you give me a hand with this?" Mm. So, um, I think it's been, I think it's been good for our sector in that speeding up the adoption of digital technology but i just think that it's um it's you know there's a it's made it, that the whole period of time has changed i think the way that certainly gen z was maybe going that way anyway but it's certainly changed the way employees or potential employees see the balance between work and life mm. Um, you know, I'm maybe a bit old school and I believe that, you know, you know, work is, a, you know, you've got to love your work. You spend a lot of time at, at work. You've, you've, got, you've got to enjoy it. But at the same time, you know, you work for a company and, the comp you know, you're it's a transactional thing. You go, you do a good job and in return, the company pays you a good salary. Um, and I feel that there's been a lot more demands placed on employers as a result of this change of, attitude towards what work is and i i, I mean I, I i love the idea of digital nomads and people who are able to work from anywhere and all of that sort of stuff it's it's cool and it's cool for them but it's it's not right for us to have to be a remote business we were never set up that way some businesses have always operated in that way um and, and it's not a, it's not a trust thing it's a it's an efficiency thing it's a quality thing um and and it's a community thing um for for, for me and, and what our sensor is and what our what our culture is and how we've how we've grown and it looked you know what's quite ironic was last year zoom actually told their team that they needed them in the office yeah. <laughs> and sky and, and, and uh, facebook and amazon and all these other businesses were very public in that and again you know we'd actually made that decision before all of that stuff in the news it was it was we made the decision and from the first of april everybody was back in three days a week and you know there's probably 50 percent of people are actually in every day because they like it so we've got flexible hours as well and mm. all of the stuff that you would expect um but there, there has to be some i guess control from the business's perspective around managing what they're what they're actually getting and and with the result that they're providing for clients you know i know there's a friend of mine had was was doing the you know the four-day week mm -hmm. you know and it it's you know all of the the stuff around that was well you can you know we only actually work 80 percent of the time so you can do that in four days and i just i just don't buy it 
because I think that you know it's you, everybody needs downtime at work everybody needs to be able to get away from the screen and be non-productive to be productive so I believe four days would actually turn into three and a quarter days and you've got customers who need you and if you if it's quite difficult to control who's actually working if everybody's got a day off each week is it the same day is it different days and mm. you know if your team isn't huge then and well you know customers are probably not going to get the same level of service i and i it's quite hard isn't it because you know unless things change you never know what they're going to be like and you never know whether they're going to be better or not certainly as a youngster i would have loved to have had a four-day week uh, but I think as a business owner, you know, I'm looking at it from a, a, a productivity and a business stability perspective. And I think that um, all of all of these things have sort of happened as a result of COVID. Uh, I do think that the UK economy is sort of waking up to a little bit that that generally speaking, we're, as a country, we're not performing as effectively as we were before where, when it's service-based when when you when it's you know because you've also got to think you know we we do have some manufacturing left and we do have industry in the in the country that doesn't facilitate working from home at all yet mm -hmm. in those businesses they have massive challenges because the office staff do want to have working from home days yet the best other people in the company can't do that mm -hmm. so that causes friction and it's just because of the job that they do so I think that's the, that's the biggest thing for me is 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 from a, a downside, but I think it's. I, but at the same time, I do I do feel that before that we didn't really have working from home. If people wanted to work at home the odd day or whatever, they did, and now we've got it, and it's mm. not not full time. It's, it's it's you know they're in the office at least three days a week, so mm. got a good nice nice balance, and it feel it feels good. I don't have mm. concerns, and you know we're more efficient by that. So. Mm. I think, I think we've sort of found our way back to a a, a good situation. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it it's really difficult because it it was a whole sort of negotiation because you know there's the whole sort of through COVID all of the you know mental health well being and all of that and the sort of realization of isolation and so on, and there are a lot of people like I've met people who they will not work from home. They just don't want it. They had to through the pandemic. And then they're like, I do not want to do that. Yeah. And they would much rather come into the office, even when they've got flexibility to not, to not have to do it. Um, and, you know, equally the other side. And then you've got the whole like equality, inclusion, di diversity agenda of like, you know, you give that accessibility to people and so on. But yeah, like you say, it depends what you kind of want to do. And it's difficult for you, like you say, because you weren't originally designed to be like that, but you've been kind of pulled into that way. Is there a pull as well to kind of extend your hours? Are you constantly being pulled to sort of be open 24-7, be available 24-7? No, uh, we do provide sort of some out of our support. And, and I think that's where flexibility comes in really well. Mm -hmm. And particularly some people when they're working at home, you know, as long as people are doing the hours that they're contracted to do, mm. I don't really care when when they're being done. Um, so it does give us, and certainly flexible working means that, you know, we've got people starting at 6.30 in the morning, mm. but they're done by 2.30 in the afternoon. Mm. But other people are coming in at 9.30, 10 o'clock. So automatically we've got a, a, a longer working day as a company 
um, and individuals are doing their bits within that. So, you know, the office is open pretty much 12 hours a day. Plus then if people need to do stuff or they're at home or whatever, then then we we, we, we fill that where we need to. Uh, you know, when it comes to software development, you know, it doesn't really matter when it when it's been done or where it's been done. My thing is, as long as it's been done right yes. and planned, yeah. so it's about the out, it's about the output and the outcome. Um, it's just that if you're in the office, you're more likely to deal with your problems quicker. I think that's that's the main point for me. Yeah, and there's more people to rally around. Like when people are working remotely, if something goes off unless you're actually going to get on the phone and, and be like, right, everybody on, it's a bit harder to be action stations, isn't it? Yeah. And, 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 and there's too many distractions as well. And I think even when, you know, when you do have those teams calls or zoom calls, you know, if it's a, if it's a group call with multiple people on it and you're not in that conversation, that, that moment of conversation, it's too easy to be distracted. Mm. Um, you know, we when we were doing the networking events, uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd sort of, you know, be, be focused when it was your bit, or I would be, and then I'd be doing other stuff, and I couldn't stop myself because I like to be efficient. You know, if an email's coming in, and I've still got two ears to listen to what's going on, but I'm not, I'm not really engaged, and I think that's vital um, if you're going to be productive, and and we get that when people are together face to face. One uh, one last kind of bit on this area. Um, so, in terms of the commercial property, like, um, so this is kind of for your business, but, but maybe also businesses that you've worked with. Have you? Did you did you sort of have to downsize the the office space, or have you now downsized the office space, or has it allowed you to sort of get bigger? Like, how has that affected things for you? So we 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 were so excited in December nineteen when we moved into our detached glass building on Gelded Road, um, and looking back, if we hadn't have got in in December nineteen, we'd have had to sign another lease on the previous building, which just wasn't suitable for us. Yeah. Yeah. So lockdown happened in March twenty twenty. Um, so we basically we got it fitted out, finally got the internet working, and uh, then it was like right, we're now at home. So we got some, we got a slight reduction, I think, on our rates. Landlord wouldn't do anything for us. Uh, so it was, you know, it was my goal to really get people in the office as soon as I possibly could after yeah. after the lockdowns ended. And um, so I was, I did things like we built, we 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 put in a really nice outside grassy area with benches. We built a, a stand up desk, a really nice stand up desk in the office, yeah. and. It's like releasing all of this stuff on Teams, saying, you know, when we when we get back in, we're gonna do this, we're gonna have this, and gonna have that. So it was really I just and, and I think, you know, maybe that's part of, partly where my reticence working from home comes from. I've created a really amazing space here and I just want people in it and using it. <laughs> so so yeah, no, we we were sort of stuck with the building, but the bit the building is it's like a giant billboard. Um you know. You know, our rent is less than it costs to have a digital billboard down on the sort of way into Leeds uh, per month, and you know, we 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 really really stand out. We've certainly done well as a business because of the building and the presence that we've got. So I've got absolutely no regrets at all with it. Mm. Um, but yeah, it could have all been very very different. Mm. 
yeah and and that's you know to be in terms of your outgoings and like to have that during lockdown and you're just like i'm paying for nothing here this is so <laughs> painful absolutely yeah and I, th and I think it's you know i mean i guess landlords are in the same boat with everybody aren't they um and you know i really feel for that for them i feel yeah. for students you know, students being made to take rents on houses, and then they couldn't turn up to university. They weren't turning up to university. They were they were doing a, um, uh, you know, remote learning. They could have stayed at home and stuff. So it was it was just a bit. It was just a bit bonkers, particularly around property. I think. Mm, yeah, and, and that realization for people of you know your spend is someone else's income. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, and it, it shows how. You know, there's a there's a there's a system with loads and loads of moving parts, and then you suddenly break it, and then it's like the fallout's so different for for everybody. Let's do Brexit. Okay. <laughs> um, so, I, I mean, I'll preface this uh, with because Brexit happened sort of through COVID. For some people, it's hard to kind of draw them apart. But my question on Brexit is basically. Did it affect your work at all? Has it affected your work at all? Um, and if it has, what's that effect been? Has it been a good effect, a bad effect, or just no effect? Yeah, Brexit hasn't really affected our work, uh, but it's certainly affected our clients. Right. You know, where we've got clients who sell online, particularly businesses that are importing products, Brexit has had a major impact from... I think things are calming down now in terms of the cost of of shipping. There's a there was a massive increase in costs, but then there's also a big increase in the uh, load on businesses to handle compliance and paperwork and all of that stuff. Uh, shipping goods internationally meant that the you know there would be import duty and other uh, taxes placed on the person receiving the goods, which were being charged and uh, certainly for my wife's business, the gifts company, you know, she stopped sending anything overseas for a period of time because it was costing more in import duty for the consumer than it was to buy the goods in the first place. So I think Brexit has been, you know, it's it's one of those things that we're going to have to um, live with. I think it's, it's done. And I don't know. I mean, we, Globalization um, has been, I think, great for the global economy to 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 help. I guess I suppose sort of consumerism and, and businesses certainly through digital to to grow and reach, um, and then all of a sudden is this limits been placed, and I think the, the main thing you know one of the key drivers of Brexit was to reduce um migration wasn't it and it hasn't worked um and it's just created more red tape than we had before and you know any anything that stops trade or restricts trade is not good for business mm. certainly not good for for the, the clients that we've got that that do trade overseas and import goods and sell stuff overseas mm. i mean it, like you I mean, you obviously said you like to try and employ local and you like to rather than outsource. Have you had to bring anyone in at any point? Like, or 
I, I'm thinking here, like, how much hassle is it to to sort of, if you need a specialist worker to bring them in, and like, how much is uh, has it really increased visa hassle or anything like that? I mean, if you don't know, you don't know. But just if you have any insight, yeah, we have we have had um, we have employed um, overseas workers directly here in the UK, so people had come on a, on a working permit. Mm-hmm. Um, we haven't. We, we've got a lad here that that came over from South Africa, and he's still with us. Um, but other than that, you know, there are a lot of there's a lot of talent in the UK, and and you know, we we recruit and we just try and find the best people for the the job. And if it happened to be somebody that was here on a visa or whatever, then and they were they were right for the job, they were right for the job. I don't think Brexit has worked at all in terms of what it was designed what why people wanted brexit um and but i think at the same time formerly people from other countries who were coming here to work are doing less of that i think i think certainly i mean there was a time when there was an awful lot of polish people here in the uk our, our finance manager's polish we've got a polish uh she so she's she's polish but she she was living and was um, working here before we recruited her. Mm. We've got a data science guy who was born here, but he's Polish. Mm. Um, but apparently um, a lot of Polish people, you know, working at home is actually better than coming here to work now. You know, I think that the, the amount of money that they can earn, mm-hmm. all, of, all of the other things, you know, there was, you know, I think people were in uproar, weren't they, about people coming to the UK to work and then sending the money home and stuff. And mm. all of that sort of negative um attitude that that sort of fueled brexit i think and the reality is i think certainly in many sectors you know we need overseas workers because i don't know whether whether it's like you know british people think these jobs aren't good enough for them or what but you know i spend a lot of time in the lake district you know there's pubs and hotels that really struggle there's pubs that only open two or three days a week because they can't get the staff rather than they've not got the customers and and i think they're they're the unexpected consequences you know it's those it's those those potential employees that we've that we're missing out on as a as a country and i think that it's a shame. It's a real shame. I mean, like, I, I I won't go off too far, but I will I will just say on this because of what we've discussed so far. Like, I used to work in the unions, work in training, lifelong education, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and the argument at the time when they were doing like skills agenda and things like that, which you're probably aware of, you'll have heard of all of that at, at yeah. the time. Um. It was this battle between the government and businesses of like, yeah, we really need skills and education and continual development and so on. Uh, you pay for it. No, you pay for it. Uh, and there's been no like, so where we've had to bring in skilled workers for skills shortages and stuff. And if, you know, where they've gone, there's been no effort to kind of replace that, like train people up. Like there's no support there's no incentive there's no program of like all right well we need these people we're going to train a whole bunch of them and we're you know like because you can't just take something away and well we can now because we do it all the time but you shouldn't just take something away without putting something in its place to to serve the function that it did 
Absolutely. There, there was no, there was no, there was no plan, was there at no. all? I, I mean, I think, I think the whole thing was, um, you know, th there was a lot of pressure to do the referendum. It was stumbled into backwards, which is like what most of our problems seem to be now. Is like we seem to not look where we're going and just fall into it backwards. Absolutely, yeah, and um, and and it's. You know, it's it's the small businesses, isn't it, that have to pick up the pieces with these things. Mm. So yeah, I, I do. I just it's it was a. I think it was a, just a disastrous, a disastrous thing. Um, but you know, I guess we're coping okay, and that's the main thing, isn't it? You've got to deal. You've got to play with the hand that you've been dealt, and and that's that's all you can do. Yeah, and you you know you're always going to get as COVID showed us. You're always going to get external shocks that you you have to deal with. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so speaking of which, let's go on to climate change. So uh, from a climate perspective, Leeds has declared a climate emergency, uh, so it's relevant to working in Leeds. Um, for your business, is there anything you can do, do, do? Is it on your radar? Is it something that you deal with? Or is it just not something something you have time to think about? Yeah, I think I mean we're we're a user of energy, uh, computers, uh, so we're always looking at ways that we can you know reduce our uh, carbon footprint. Um, and I dare say you know businesses like ours, and certainly some in Leeds, have already gone down the B Corp route. Mm -hmm. So I think that you know it's 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 one of those things where it'll be the bigger businesses that we want to work with as suppliers that force smaller businesses like ours to have a, a you know a proper strategy and proactive approach to reducing their carbon footprints um you know if you if you don't have certain you know that's why we've we've got iso you know but some of our clients wouldn't work with us unless we got that and it's it's a great thing to have but it's driven through co commercialism which is similar and i think it's sort of the way it's, it's it's the only way to make small businesses that are busy you know do things differently if there's a commercial uh, either commercial benefit or a commercial a negative impact by not doing it um but yeah I and mean, i think i think you know climate change is um you know it's indisputable isn't it and and i think that the great the great I guess any positive side of that is the shift in the economy and businesses that are looking to make a difference and develop products and develop um, services to, um, you know, it's a new economy, isn't it? Um, but like with anything, you've just got to be wary about what the goal is. It's got to be about saving the planet and not about making money. Mm. You know, you hear, I mean, you know, I I don't know whether it's appropriate to talk about diets and stuff, but the whole thing around veganism and stuff, you know, mm -hmm. I, I I get people have got their their choices, uh, but you know, you've also got a lot of businesses that jump on the bandwagon of that and are essentially, you know, overcharging for stuff, ripping people off, and you know, the cost of producing vegan products is much heavier load on the climate than eating eating meat and stuff like that you know somebody said about was telling me about the amount of water it takes to grow an avocado <laughs> or an almond it might have been an almond uh 
you know, that's why there's water shortages in California, which is meaning they can't put these fires out and they're having the fires in the first place. And mm. uh, there's, there's a trade, there's a trade off. And I think it's just important that, that for everybody, we don't just jump on bandwagons. We look at the real sort of benefit for, to the, to the planet of, of doing these things. Okay. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that back to you in terms of your policies and things that you've had to develop. How, how do you go about that? I mean, like, do you, do you do an assessment within a project of like, is that part of the calculation of what, what's the effect? What would be lesser impact? Do you sort of do a cost benefit outside of just the cost benefit? Does that make sense in terms of just more than just the monetary value, I guess? Yeah, it's quite difficult. I mean, we'd, we'd probably want to make sure that we we were only working with ethical businesses, mm-hmm. you know, businesses that are, or, I mean, that, that aren't causing harm. Uh, I think in terms of from a project perspective, I mean, like I say, we, we're a business that effectively sells time. So that's, that's all we, we have, if you like, as our products and we deliver a service for that time. So there's not really a lot of difference that we can make on a project by project basis. You know, it's, yeah, it's it's a it's a funny question because I think the thing is, is as long as if we if we're if we're if we're looking to keep our um, our own carbon footprint as low as possible, then then that's the main thing because it it shouldn't matter who we're working for at any given time. It shouldn't stop us from doing that. Still, I mean, from a market perspective, then like as a product, or or if you even have any products. Is it something that's popular? Is it something that people want to buy? Obviously, you've said that people want the accreditation and the ISOs and to to be working with companies that are doing the right thing, that want of a better phrase. Like, do you see demand from customers for any of this? Like, is there is there a drive? Because I've within the interviews, I felt that the you know there seems to be quite a big appetite for a lot of change that you don't necessarily see from how things are presented in the media. Yeah. Are you finding the same or or is it from a business level, it's kind of, that's an additional cost too much or? Yeah, I don't, I don't think at the moment our customers are concerned with. They're too busy trying to just survive. Yeah, exactly. I don't think they're, they're, they're not asking us what we're doing mm-hmm. to be more, um, I guess, um, supportive of of climate change and the planet and and stuff like that i think i think it's down to businesses to do to do the right thing themselves Mm -hmm. Uh, i i you know i it's something that you know it's it's things like the the uh, you know the electric vehicle sort of question well you know electric vehicles are still very very unaffordable for many people i know there are incentives for businesses but for most people out there they're very very unaffordable unless they become more affordable then people just can't do that trade to to move over to to it. Like with anything, you know, as soon as you know, it's almost as soon as the government give you in, put incentives out there. Like it happened with solar, uh, it's happening with with EV. You know, they then start to take it away as as well as soon. You know, it's it. There aren't enough, I think, business benefits yet to fully adopt some of some of these technologies that we probably will need to do in the next sort of few years to become carbon neutral as a country i don't think there's enough i i don't think the lobby has enough money 
you know i don't and it's the the ones that do have the money are the energy companies still because the whole economy comes from them essentially because without that energy there's no machines running it does it does i think that you know they're making money regardless aren't they and mm -hmm. you know the the a lot of the cost of living crisis has been driven by the rise in energy costs as a result of you know tensions overseas and stuff. well and as a result of their losses during covid as well you know like the, the the energy price like the oil price went negative you know this is one of those things that uh, the news conveniently forgets that they said like they do all this stuff and they say all this stuff and then five minutes later they're like oh we never said that oh no we don't yeah. talk about that yeah um but yeah it's like they're recouping their losses as much as they're they're dealing with global events you know? yeah but they're they're still making they're still making the you know the same profits mm. even though, you know when there's an energy price gap and stuff they're still making the same profits and yeah. it's the consumer that suffers oh, every time mm. for the, these big businesses and that's you know that's why it's important particularly from climate change that it's it's done it's not done as a commercial you know pre pre saving the planet isn't a commercial um mission is it and i think that's one of the things that i think is dangerous where you've got businesses that are um selling products and doing stuff that aren't necessarily they're doing it for their own gain rather than for the for this for the planet's benefit if there was a ubi would that change your work at all i i'm expecting the answer to be no for this but like would you work more or less would you work differently would you say if you'd have been getting it a few years back would you have even gone and done this business i think the answer to that is yes like what's your take on it do you think it would affect the way that you work um so by universal basic income it's a bit like the, the way a communist society would work is it enough is a single salary for whatever no you... so you can work on top of it like you can do any other work that you want to do no okay. stopping you from doing that it's just an amount that everybody gets so if you're homeless you get a set amount every whatever it is month or whatever yeah you can spend that however you want and one of the things that they find is once people have got a regular amount they can plan and from that they can improve so it's just to give a baseline so that ideally people can't slip below it yeah and i think in in terms of a sensor you know our because of what we do, salaries are a lot higher than the um, average. Yeah, average. And so, I don't necessarily think that. I mean, it, you know, and as as well, I guess with universal basic income, who's paying that? Is that to, to be paid by the government or? It be, yeah, it come from the government. So. Yeah. So I, I I guess most people would see that as a as a top up, if you like. You know, it's a basic amount of money, but then when you're working, you're working is the is the is the top up from it. Yeah. So, so you know, would would it mean that people could then would it would it, I would guess that that would then reduce the burden on companies because you could effectively pay less for the same amount of work if the government were providing a percentage of the total income. Potentially, that depends on the market conditions. I mean, if you've got a company, you know, a lot of companies pay more to get the staff and to get people out so potentially it could make wages higher because people maybe don't want to or don't need to work as much 
Yeah. So, but we don't know it's all hypothetical because we yeah. haven't got it yet. But they are doing a couple of pilots for this. But it's um, yeah. I I I think it's a really interesting idea that's worth discussing, and people need to get money in their pockets. And I, I can't think of any other ideas that anyone's putting out at the moment. And uh, yeah, and also the flip side of it is that you you wouldn't necessarily pay. For, so you wouldn't you could strap universal credit or you yeah. could use that already to pay out but you wouldn't need the admin you yeah. wouldn't need the means testing you wouldn't need any of that so there's cost saving built into it as well um so yeah i i mean i'm obviously for it but yeah i mean i just i think it's, it's i mean i think it's important that people um who can work but don't work do work for me if they if they can work where so they would receive the universal basic income mm -hmm. so they were receiving the same amount of money as the of through ubi as somebody who was working and getting a high paid salary would that not lead to conflict or you know you you might have to put in other policies with it yeah i i, I so for me i do believe that there's this sort of so the sort of vagrancy idea or 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 the idleness idea of uh and it is bad and we know it is bad for you and people that got locked down you know definitely know that elements of that are bad for you there is an element in which you need to socialize in which you need to have a social function which you, you need to be doing stuff and that's yeah. good for your mental health but there's also periods in your life when you, you need to not do anything hide away from people so it's that ideally it's to give people freedom and ideally it's to give them the support to actually go on and do things like create businesses, you know, yeah. and, and give that space. And um, training, training, learning, training and learning. Yeah. I mean, one of the things, so I used to ask people if, if money was no object, like what would you do? And the top two answers for that at the time were either study or travel. Yeah. They're both kind of, I mean, they're both learning, aren't they really? Absolutely. I think that's what most people really want to do. You know, they want to learn things. They want to produce. They want to contribute, but they they want to learn as well. You know, we want experiences. And it's like you saying about the ambition. It's like you were learning stuff in those businesses. Yeah. But that ambition was always there. It's like, I want to do more. I know I can do more. Yes. So like I say, I think you would be, uh, you're, you would always have worked, I would say. Would you agree yeah. with that? Is that, yeah. yeah. You were always going to work. Are you going to, can you see yourself retiring or are you one of these people who are like, I'm going to work until the day I die? <laughs> no. And I think, I think I, I can see myself doing something different. I mean, we're 16 years old, so, mm. you know, I haven't got any plans yet. Um, but I do feel as though at some point in the future, I'd like to, to go down that consultancy route and help business, help business owners do what a sense has done. Um, but I just think that, you know, I think retirement have frightened me. I think it's like, you know, I've always done what I certainly with these businesses that a sensor and, and, um, and my wife's business, you know, it's what we love to do. And I think when you do something that you love, then it doesn't feel like work. And, you know, I know what I'm like when I'm on holiday, I'm just restless. <laughs> like, so I think it's, I think it's something that you know I, i'm all, i can see myself always working whether i'd 
want a business with load of people like I've got now, I'd, I'd might, <laughs> might think differently about that because you know I think you know when you the more people you have, the more challenges you have because of yeah nature of life um, and the nature of people. <laughs> nature of people <laughs> uh, there's always a curveball most most days yeah. something unexpected but you, but also it's, it's brilliant as well and it's great to be in a position to be able to you know have have a team of people working with you and 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 you know seeing them develop and, and everything so yeah i think i'll always work in some fashion are you i mean i in terms of your work-life balance are you quite a workaholic or are you very good at kind of keeping things separate and working so many hours yeah no i work the hours that i need to work uh meaning i mean I, i'm 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 doing i'm doing a full day every day but like I, I you know i left the office at half nine the other night um six six o'clock i think yesterday but i i've um i started walking to work i've got a puppy uh so i um i walk i walk here and back which is great because it gives gives me really good separation so now most days, um, you know, what, what, I, what I like to do is finish my working day at the office and then go home. Mm. And I think well, that was one of the real downsides of, 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 you know, certainly during the COVID year, you don't, you didn't get that separation. And that's what I don't really get with working from home. Everything all blends where, mm. so I do like to have a, a working day um, and, and, and just have that walking to work and walking home sort of planning and reflection time and yeah it's it's transition as well i think one of the things that people you know i don't think people appreciate it enough that the, the transition phase it's like going into water it's like you can you can walk slowly into the ocean or whatever or, or jump in and it's like it's the thought of that transition that's the difficult thing it's the thought of going from dry to wet and yeah <laughs> but once you're wet you're fine and yeah. while you're dry you're fine but the transition's the difficult thing and it's the thing that you're like either scared of or uncomfortable with or that you know you have to go through yeah. absolutely that's a great analogy yeah i like that <laughs> um so last uh, have we anything more to say on ubi at the moment yeah it's not really something i'd thought about before um but yeah it's it's interesting Mm. Um, I, I, I'll think about it now. It's like what about the concept of it? Um, it's just, it's just like anything, isn't it? How do things, how do think, how will it work in practice, and how will it be sold in to the, to the country and the people? And also, yeah, how will people interpret that? Because you can kind of model things, but when you do a wide rollout where you've got all those variables that you didn't think about before. So, final question of my questions if you could change any three things about your work right now uh so they can be realistic unrealistic uh you don't have to use all three uh but yeah if you could change any three things about your work what would they be more uh, space for puppies yeah i think i think well we've got loads of space uh, <laughs> I, I, I can't really think of anything. I, I mean, it's a hard question for a lot it, of people. Certainly, three of them. Yeah. I mean, uh, more more customers, more clients, less. Uh, like. Yeah, I think if if we're transitioning as a business that works for uh, larger companies, typically that they've got a marketing manager in place, whereas we grew up very much working for smaller businesses and owner managed businesses. 
And so we've been, you know, gradually sort of losing some of those smaller clients because we've not got the capacity. We've, we're working for, um, you know, I guess, bigger commitments from, from larger companies. So that's been happening. Um, I, I'd want that to continue and, 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 you know, being a, you know, I'd love to have, you know, 30 big clients rather than 300 small clients, which is probably where we're, we're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'd like to change the support that I think there's quite a lot of support for businesses like ours for grant funding and funding, but there doesn't seem to be a lot around training and development. We've done a, we've, had, we've always had apprentices and brought apprentices on and tried to make it possible for them to have a full-time role after the apprenticeship. And and we've got, you know, that that's happened really successfully mm-hmm. in quite a few cases, but there's not a lot of training uh, support available for, you know, um, you know, really building up managers and leaders. There's bit, there's bits and pieces, but yeah. I think if there was more support, um, then, you know, it's really important for me that we have a, a good, you know, everybody in the business should be a leader in one way or another. And mm-hmm. and I think these are skills that can be massively supported through training and development. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think we are in a difficult economic climate and I'm really pleased that we've been through this before because we're 16 years old, so we know what to expect doesn't make it less challenging but we sort of it's not it's not scary and i think that for businesses like ours you get through the other side of it you're generally a lot stronger because you're you've found that where you know i, I wish it, it, I, what i change is that we're not in a in, you know you don't find out you're in a recession until the data tells you you've been in it for six months you know we're yeah. in we're in a difficult time at the minute and i wish that wasn't the case because it's very unpleasant you know, we've had three three um, clients went under on us in the last two months of last year. Mm. It hasn't massively affected us. However, you know there was over fifteen hundred people made redundant from those three companies. So yeah, I definitely definitely changed that. But I do think that when you're in a recession or in 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 these sorts of downtrends, that you know there there are opportunities for businesses like ours that are stable and you know as companies are letting people go they're less able to deal with their clients and those clients might want new homes and want to come to a business that they you know has has got a a longer track record and stability and stuff which we have so there's two sides to the coin um Mm. i'd certainly change the state of state of affairs and state of the country which i think is uh, you know we couldn't we couldn't stop covid happening we couldn't stop the war happening and stuff, but I think we could have dealt with these things a lot better, and the country could have been in a bit of better shape now had we had we done so. Obviously, you know, sometimes you've got to, you know, as long as as long as the governments and people are learning from these experiences and understand a good, another pandemic could hit, there are going to be war. Well, there's another war going on there. There was obviously the Ukrainian war, which affected things. There's now the war over in the Middle East and stuff. So you know, it's it's you know, say you know. You, Think things are only a mistake if you do them twice, <laughs> and, and I think the government needs to make sure that, or whatever government needs to make sure that we're prepared. We've got disaster recovery and and things in place as we do as a business when these things happen to make sure that we can continue and and come out come out well. And 
I just think there were so many. I mean, I don't know if you heard any of the um, inquiry into COVID and stuff, the, you know, or any of the reports of that. And when they were interviewing the MPs around what they were doing and stuff, it was just a shower, really, I felt. And, and um, you know, uh, I think they took the mickey out of the British public and, 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 and introduced things which the country couldn't pay for and we're all suffering as a result of it now. And mm-hmm. whereas at the same time, there were many... It's been a, so much fraud around like bounce back loans and all of that stuff that you know crazy crazy um and and, and it's good businesses like us that are, are picking up the, the tab for it so on the apprenticeship front that whole thing needs to be expanded massively and like the the sort of more advanced apprenticeships and stuff like like you say there's and it shouldn't just be a matter of bringing pensioners back into the workforce. It's like that if you're getting pensioners on board, they should be, you know, non-exec directs or whatever. They, you know, that should be wisdom only kind of thing. It's like they shouldn't have to be going back into work. But also you should be giving young people skills, you know, giving giving middle-aged people new skills and retraining them and giving them new opportunities because they've already got skills and knowledge. And like you say, you know, they've seen businesses from different sides and can bring different experiences and perspectives and stuff. And the focus is always just like give young people a kind of half-assed course because a lot of the time they are half-assed. And, you know, like the apprenticeship is only as good as the, the company and the provider that that's giving you it yeah um, but yeah like what what do you think on that in terms of kind of retraining everyone you know not just young people like do you think that would give would you support something like that for example would you support a scheme that was kind of retraining older people into uh development yeah definitely i think that um you know, software moves really, really quickly. And, um, you know, there, there are so many things that we do now that just weren't available to learn when I was a youngster. So there must be a lot of other, you know, middle-aged people like me that, um, you know, haven't been exposed to some of the things that they could be really, really good at. Mm. And, you know, having a balance of, like world experience and commercial experience um, as well as being able to do your job is really important. Mm. I believe that people need to learn by their mistakes and it's important to give people the room to, to, to do that as long as it doesn't affect the business, you know, and, and you do wash up activities to talk people through, you know, well, if you'd have done this differently or done mm. that differently, or in my experience, this is, this is what I'd, I'd have done. And I think that, you know, having, having older people doing some of the things that that we do certainly from a software development perspective would be more beneficial but they're just not on the market because Mm. it's not been these options Mm. i think that with marketing you know i don't want to be ageist or anything but because because of social media and other forms of marketing Mm. and how we digest that advertising and that content and moving so quickly I think it needs, you know, I'm there's there's stuff now that I just wouldn't even bother setting up a TikTok. Yeah. You know, we sell TikTok services. I've got absolutely no interest in it as a as a person, other than what I, I understand it and I can talk to people about whether it might be good for their business or not. But you know, the more we embrace technology and 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 use it, the more 
we need people and people with different levels of experience. And so, yeah, no, I, I do think it would, be, it would be really good, but particularly from a software development perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is the point where I, I mean, I've, I could ask you loads more questions, obviously. Um, but this is the point where I throw it over to you. If there's anything that you want to discuss or bring up or revisit anything that we've not covered that you want to talk about, if not, um, you can just give us your socials, but yeah, over to you, whatever you want to talk about. Yeah, no, I guess, I mean, I guess you're just going to cut it about, are you this? I guess we, I didn't I, So I'm not too brutal on the cuts. I try and keep it minimal because there's, I, I, I want this to be a long conversation that someone sits down and listens to because everything I, on the internet is just like, it's cut to hell and yeah. segmented up. I want, I want people to have a space where they can actually concentrate <laughs> yeah. and it's not spoon fed to you. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I can, I can cut stuff out or I can jump around. No, no. I mean, I guess you'd be cutting this bit out. <laughs> this... Probably might leave it in though. It's a podcast because you, you know, it's authenticity, isn't it? Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um, sorry. Sorry, listeners. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I guess just, maybe finish where we started, you know, around the way that sort of life pans out. And mm. uh, it was really funny with my wife and, and she, she got this business doing gifts and she was outsourcing all these um, personalized, um, she, she sells personalized gifts. So she was buying them in from places and drop shipping them. And she came back one day and she said, I really like to buy a CNC laser machine. And it's like, that's what I was first recruited to go and manage at that engineering place. And right. always, always like um amused by the way that life's and business and work and everything just always sorts of pans out and i just think if you if you've got a really positive attitude and you take you see the opportunities and you take them and and think and, and think about what how i'm here doing what i do now i can sort of see all of the different little things that have led to it and like i say there's no real plan but it's just just think if you're just uh, if you're just happy and positive and a nice person and kind to people, then things work out and, and you end up getting what you want from life. That's a nice point to end. So give it give us your socials then. Where can people find you? So it's ascensor.com, A-S-C-E-N-S-O-R.com. Uh our social media is all under Ascensor. We're it's not an English word, so we're not hard to find. Um and yeah, I mean me on LinkedIn so it's just Andrew Firth thank you again to Andrew for being my guest if you'd like to find out more about Ascensor and what they can do for your business then don't forget to go and check out Ascensor.com thanks as always to all my guests and thanks to you Leeds for being my subject if you're in Leeds or from Leeds if you are Leeds then please come on the show Yes, I am speaking to you. I still need to find 889 lawyers to interview, so being a guest is the greatest help. You'll get free advertising and media experience, and you'll be part of a unique project in our unique city. Whatever you do, I'm interested to hear about it. You don't have to be online, and you can even be anonymous if you'd like. You will enjoy it. Remember to like, share, follow, and subscribe to Working Hours, and please help to support Working Hours financially with either a regular or a one-off donation of any amount go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod to give monthly from one pound or go to ko-fi.com forward slash working hours to donate any amount you'd like it's just a few clicks it's honestly not difficult so don't be put off if you're a local business who would like to sponsor or pay for advertising on working hours 
Or if you'd like your locally produced products branded with working hours so that it could be used as merch for the show, one that ideally could be delivered locally and sustainably, then I'd love to hear from you. I have actually had my first offer for a sponsorship for the show. It's from an American company, obviously, because why would a Leeds business see an opportunity to advertise to a Leeds audience? That's crazy talk. Again, if you have any imagination and you've got any ideas for how you could help Working Hours, you can email workinghourspod at western-studios.com. Okay, that's me. Work for peace and plan with kindness. Cheers, ears. Take care out there. And be kind to each other, Leeds. Working Hours is produced, recorded, edited and published by Simon Treen for Western Studios, Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org. Go to western-studios.com and use the contact page on the site to drop me a message about either Working Hours or about your own Leeds podcast project. Keep up to date with Working Hours and find out about the other great Leeds podcasts that Western Studios is involved with by following Western Studios Leeds on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash western underscore studios underscore Leeds and on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash western hyphen studios. Western Studios Leeds is available to lawyers to help them realise their own podcast projects for only £30 for an hour of audio podcast work or £40 for an hour of video podcast work. Email makemypodcast at western-studios.com with details of your project and what support you want to get your Leeds podcast made. Whatever your podcast question or need, get in touch with Western Studios Leeds. <laughs>